Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Malachi, beginning in chapter 3, verse 13. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, a day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help, so let's pray together. Father, this scene from Malachi chapter 3 and 4 is one that is full of sobering imagery beautiful promises, but ultimately it is your word to your people, and we need your spirit to hear, to understand, to respond. Enable us now, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we're finishing up the book of Malachi. I had thought we were going to go for two more weeks, but as I looked at our passage today, it really all came together. Oftentimes we look in our Bibles and there's headings and there's numbers and chapters, divisions. None of that was originally written down. It was added later so that we could study it better. So sometimes we look to a passage and we want to stop when we get to the end of a paragraph. But it seems to me as we come to this passage that there is this final appeal from Malachi to the people. A final declaration for those who are listening. If you remember... All that is happening here, it is summed up really at the beginning of our passage. It says that your words have been hard against me. All of the hard words that the people of God have complained against him. If you remember all of the complaints we've gone through in these past weeks, I have loved you. But the people said, how have you loved us? Hard words against the Lord. They have dishonored him in their worship. And they said, how have we dishonored you? We still give these sacrifices even though they were lame and blind, in violation of what God had commanded of them. 
And they had defiled the marriage covenant of the people of God, the descendants of the promise. They considered their personal lives of no value to God's word, distant from this religious activity. God instructed them in good and evil. And their complaint was, where is the God of justice who lets evildoers thrive? He commands them to bring in the full tithe, but they complain that worshiping and serving God is useless. Evil men who mock God prosper. And we get to our final complaint here that really sums up these hard words. And as we look at the complaint and the two responses to Malachi's preaching, we see that there are two groups of people listening. There are two people who have responded differently, and there will be two different results for those groups of people. Two groups, two responses, two results, one day of the Lord. We see the first response to God's word. Malachi has come and he has declared these things to them, calling the, God, uh, calling the people of God to come back, to return, to be reunited with their Lord, to express true faith, to serve him with sincere hearts, to be restored, to experience his blessing. And just this past week, we looked at the tithe, and he said, I will bless you. Put me to the test that I would not open up the windows of heaven, that there would be no more need. But we see this first response, this first group of people, as they have heard Malachi's rebuke, as they have heard the word of the Lord come to them, Malachi, no doubt, had gone back and forth. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you have said, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed and evildoers will not prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. It is vain to serve God. There's no benefit to following all these laws. I shouldn't bring in my best offerings. I shouldn't give my tithe. I shouldn't follow God's design for his people in marriage. There's no benefit to me. The arrogant are blessed Evildoers not only prosper, but they put you to the test and they escape. God is unable to execute the justice that he has promised. These are indeed hard words, but perhaps words that aren't altogether unfamiliar maybe to our own hearts. The idea that we maybe labor on day after day, trying to do the right thing, being faithful, 
to follow what God has called us to do, and yet time and time again we feel defeated. We feel it is of no value, that there is no profit to be made, that it is all in vain. In fact, if we were to just go and live like the evil, unbelieving, wicked people, it might even go better for us. This is the heart of those who are listening to Malachi. That serving God is useless. It's worthless. It has no value. These people have come to understand their relationship to God as primarily transactional. If I put a quarter into the machine, I get to ride on the carousel. If I invest this much per month, I will gain this much reward for my retirement. If I say these prayers in this way, this many times, God will hear me. I give to get. If I don't give, I will not receive. And so it seems that we've given and it has not worked out well for us. The promises that are there, God doesn't seem to be answering them. This is a transactional understanding of religion. It's one that we probably have on some level. And there's some truth to the idea that if we are disobedient to what God commands of us, we can't expect him to bless us. And yet God does not enter into covenants with his people in this transactional way. He has not called us to himself in a merely transactional opportunity. We didn't just get a pass to get in the door of Chuck E. Cheese where we can ride all of the rides if we have enough tokens. we view God that way, if we look at our circumstances through the lens of transactional give to get, we will be just as cynical as the listeners here in verses 13 through 15. There's another group of people who have been listening to Malachi. We don't know how big they are. We don't know how many people But they're referred to as those who feared the Lord, verse 16. So there are those who are listening, right? Most of these proclamations against the people seem to be very broad. In fact, the last week we looked and said that the whole community had failed in bringing in the tithe. But there is this remnant, which, of course, we see throughout the Old Testament, the remnant that God preserves. Those who are listening, those who can hear. We're told, those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Those who feared the Lord. Now, this is not that they are just absolutely terrified that God is going to smite them. Indeed, there's some element of that in the word fear, the fear of the Lord, that we have an understanding that God very well could do whatever he pleased. 
That just as he destroyed the nations before them as they inherited this promised land, so he could destroy them as well. But those who feared the Lord not only fear him in his power, but have a great sense of how mighty and holy and glorious he is. There's this reverence and awe. They understand how serious it is when God sends his prophet, just as most people would have revered a king in their day. And if a decree would have come from the king, people would have listened because it was important to hear how much greater is it that the king of kings has spoken from his messenger Malachi. They are not primarily thinking about God as transactional, but as a God who is relational, who is covenantal, who has entered into this relationship with his chosen people. They understand their place in that relationship. They understand that he is the one who is in control, that... Just because they paid their token doesn't mean they'll get the output that they think they deserve. Instead, they are thankful to even be in the presence of the king, to even hear his words, to even be given a warning. And so they gather together, this remnant of people, and they talk to one another. It's amazing the grace we see here. The Lord paid attention and he heard them. Oftentimes, when we think of a relationship with God, you know, this modern evangelical understanding of Christianity, we think of it as me and Jesus. Here we have highlighted the necessity of one another. That as we gather here together to speak to one another, to hear God's word with one another, to be encouraged by one another, God hears us. He pays attention as we express our doubts and our fears, our needs. As we gather to ask the question, what are we going to do? Malachi has come, and it doesn't seem to be going well. The Lord is there, and he is attentive, and he is listening. And then we have this strange verse uh, account that a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And you think, somebody wrote down a book before God about this incident? Well, if we view God as a king, at this time it would have been very common in the kingdom where good deeds, people who would have supported the king in times of trial or had done some great charitable thing, would have been recorded and the king would have looked through these records. And he would reward those who have done good. We see this specifically in the book of Esther. If you remember, Mordecai uh, was eventually noticed for his great deed and the king sends him out and on his horse and he makes this big proclamation that's what's happening here 
These people have responded rightly. They have heard Malachi's message. They have heard the call to return. And they have gathered together to consider what it looks like to repent and to trust. And the Lord saw and he heard and he had it written down that he might bless them. Because they feared his name and they esteemed him. And then we see this glorious promise beginning in verse 17. He hears these people. He has it written down and he declares this promise. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And once more, they shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. Our first response, our first group of people, they did not serve God. They did not esteem his name. They did not fear him. Instead, they spoke hard words back to him. But this group, they respond by gathering together, by praying to the Lord to be welcomed back in, and he makes this glorious promise. His treasured possession, that they will be spared. Indeed, they would have been complicit in all of the wickedness that Malachi was rebuking. Because they feared the Lord, because they listened, because they responded in faith, the Lord will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. These are the two groups of people who have been listening to Malachi. These are the two responses that they have come to. And then we get this glimpse of the day of the Lord that is to come. Remember the complaint back in verses uh, 13 through 15 that all of these evildoers, they're doing whatever they want. They get away with everything. We consider them blessed, similar to the complaint back from uh, chapter, well, from the fourth complaint. Chapter 2. But the Lord makes not only a promise to his treasured people, those who he respond in faith, he makes a promise to actually be the God of justice. That though it may be more delayed than they had expected, he sees, he pays attention, he hears. And he will act. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, for all of the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming. The, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will lead, leave them neither root nor branch. Talked about a refiner's fire at one point. God's work, refining his people to be holy, to deal with the sin in our hearts. This burning like an oven that is going to come on the day of the Lord will not be like a refiner's fire. It will be the all-consuming wrath and judgment of God on the wicked. Those who are arrogant, prideful, Evildoers, those who have called serving God vain, those who do not fear Him, 
It's very strong language. It leaves no doubt to the totality of what is going to take place. In fact, it says at the end here that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Even the roots under the ground will be consumed in fire. I don't know what your lawn looks like, but mine is full of weeds. And every time I try to pull them out, the root stays underneath and it comes back up again in a week. The root got away. This final judgment day to come, when God of justice will come, when his people will be vindicated, when those who have rebelled against him will be brought to account, will not leave any stone unturned or any root left in the ground. we think of the idea of fearing the Lord, perhaps language like this, imagery like this, to the people who are refusing to listen ought to have stirred in them fear. Sobriety. Uh, To have them cry out for mercy. Those in our second group, that is what they understood. That this would be their fate. That they understood the rebellion. And God promises to them something too in verse 2 of chapter 4. But for those who fear my name, once again... Fear my name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. Do yourself a favor after church today and YouTube calves leaping out of a stall. <laughs> the cutest video you'll see all week. The joy of the Lord coming. Those who are called by his name, who are his treasured possession, who have turned and sought him. They will be vindicated. They will see the evildoer put down. They will see their king triumphant. They will go out leaping like calves from the stall. And where they tread will be where the wicked once were, as they are now ashes under the soles of their feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. What's very important for us to understand from this passage is this idea that there are two responses to God's word. There are not five responses. There are not 62 responses. There's no halfway. What God is making clear here is there is a distinction. Verse 18, once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, the one who serves God and the one who does not. Similar language is used throughout Scripture. Lukewarm water from the book of Revelation is one that comes to mind. But we are all in the same scenario as those who listened to the words of Malachi. We all are sympathetic to this understanding of God, that it is vain, that the things we are doing doesn't matter, that the promises of God to us aren't coming about in the way that we wish they would. We all have divided hearts. 
We all wrestle with sin. There is no way for us to truly remember all of the laws and to keep them all. And like I said, this second group who gathered together to talk to one another, they're complicit in all of these sins as well. And yet the difference, the only difference we see is that they are called those who feared the Lord. Those who understood what had happened, what they had done. Those who knew how holy and powerful and glorious God was. And they wanted to be on his side. I think of it this way. Imagine you live in a small country and this great king has invaded He's coming. You see the army coming on the hill. You have no way to protect yourself. Do you start throwing rocks or do you start waving a white flag? Because the reality is there is no way you will survive in your own might. This is the vision of the final day of the Lord, that he is coming in judgment and that we sinful people who have rebelled against him, who are deserving of his judgment, we have a choice to make. Will we hear his declaration when the messenger comes before he shows up as he promises to send not only Malachi, but also Elijah to go and to prepare, to say the king is coming, the day is at hand. Will we hold ourselves up, put up a fight? Or will we say, God, what have we done? Will we seek to have him hear us? Will we respond by seeking his mercy? That is indeed what a covenant is all about. That a king would take over a land and he would make a covenant with the people that he had taken over. And he would promise them blessings for their allegiance and curses for their disobedience. But here we are in a slightly different scenario, are we not? Because no matter how hard we try, we will all fail to live up to our side of the covenant. We will all continue to be rebellious sinners in thoughts, in words, in deeds. But that is the glorious nature of God's covenant with his people, is that he is also not only the king... But the guarantor, what's interesting is that our passage ends here, chapters, verses 5 and 6. This is the last thing that's written to the people of God in the Old Testament. And then for about 400 years, there are no prophets. And this is what Malachi leaves them. A promise that Elijah is going to come. Before the Lord, that preparation. Of course, we know that this is the spirit of Elijah and John the Baptist who came preaching repentance and baptism to prepare the hearts of the people for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. But look at the interesting promise, the work that Elijah is going to do. You would think he's going to turn their hearts towards God. 
Indeed, I think that's included, but there's this interesting zeroing in on the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land in a decree of utter destruction. So much of what has been going on in this book has been wickedness of the people to fulfill the covenant. They have not loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They have brought forth polluted worship. They have intermarried with foreign gods and divorced their wives. They are practicing evil. At the very heart of God's covenant with his people, specifically the people of Abraham at this time, is that he would be a God to them and to their children. That the lineage of God's people throughout time has always been through this promised seed. There has always been the one who has brought forth faithful worship, even as early as Abel, who had given to the Lord from a true heart the best of his flock. And Cain, probably like the people of Malachi, gave his worst. And so the lines continue throughout all of redemptive history. And yet this is the promise that he would be a God to us and to our children after you. And so it's no surprise to the listeners at this time to hear this. That he is restoring people, but not just an individual person. That he has brought back this nation into existence. They had been in exile and they are here again. And if they want to be faithful to him. If they want to see God bless them. Right? Because the promise here is that if they don't do this, there will be a curse. God is trying to prevent a curse from coming to them. And the curse will be mediated by them being faithful to love God. To worship Him rightly. To honor their marriage and to love their children. So simple. So central to all of humanity. And yet... So difficult for us to do right. And this is the way through which God's covenant continues. It is the way through which it will always continue. It is the promise as they wait for the coming of Elijah and the promised day of the Lord, who we know is the day when Christ shows up. Simple things. There's not a lot of in-depth, difficult Old Testament scenarios happening in this book. It's basic. Love God, worship Him rightly, and love your kids, and teach them. Right? I mean, it's so basic. God works through ordinary means in an extraordinary way. He has chosen people to be his treasured possession, and he continues to rebuke them and to call them back to faithfulness while we fail. 
as we consider these two people today, let us always be reminded that we too have the same choice that they did when they heard these words. When we hear any of God's word proclaimed to us, we can listen to it and we can be jaded. All God works all things together for the good of those who doesn't feel that way. It is in difficult times, it is in times of want that our faith is truly put to the test. And we will fail time and time again. But we have the other option to respond that we see in this second group of people. Those who are called his treasured possession. Though we don't understand all of the circumstances of our lives, though we don't understand why it seems that evil has befalled us and blessing has gone to the wicked, though we may see everything collapse, that will only reveal to us where our heart truly finds rest. Will we fear the Lord and esteem his name? Will we gather together with one another to be reminded That's basically all we do each week here together is to just be reminded of who God is and what he's done for us. Simple things that are extraordinarily true. We cannot be in the middle. We cannot half be half faithful, half arrogant. Each time we hear the word of the Lord, we will respond one way or the, or the other. May God give us the grace to fear him, to esteem his name, to look to being on his side of this final day. May God give us the grace to love him, to worship him with a true heart, to love our children and for us the children around to love our parents. God sees, God hears, and God writes down everything that takes place. And when he sees us respond in faith, his blessings pour out. He calls us his treasured possession. And then this great promise that he will spare us as somebody would spare their son. As we talked earlier in our confession of, faith, uh, confession of sin and assurance of pardon, that is the gospel in this shadowed way in the book of Malachi. That we are now called the sons of God. That we have been transferred from those who are supposed to be burned up in the fire of judgment and instead will be spared like a son. And the only way that we are to be spared is because that Elijah who has come, who has come to prepare the way of the Lord, well, he is not just coming to prepare for the judgment. He has come to prepare for the Son, God's Son who came to take on this wrath. That his root would be completely consumed and his branch That every drop of life left in his body would be poured out. Because of all of our sinful, wicked hearts, 
All of the times we considered it vain to serve God. All of the unworthy sacrifices you and I bring. All of the times we failed. But that's the good news. Because we can be spared. We have a place to bring our sin to. We don't have to cower in fear in the way that we often think of fear. Instead, we know we belong to the God who should be feared by everyone. That when he comes over the hills, not only in his first coming, but when Christ finally comes in the last day, we will be numbered among his people. We will be those who are like calves let free, and we will rejoice in his victory. May that be where we place our hope. May we see God for how gloriously terrifying and gloriously loving he is to us. May we listen to his word today and in the days ahead and respond with fear, with faith, with confidence, and with joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit at work. Lord, help us to be those who respond to it in faith, who encourage one another to respond in faith. Lord, we cannot do this in our own strength, and yet you promise that you will enable us by your Spirit. Give us this grace. We need it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.